You're pushed all the time to achieve, achieve a certain result and do this. And you kind of, after, after a while, you sort of say, who am I doing this for? And I think that's the question that Seminar asks. It's like, why do we do these things? And who's it for anyway? And who are we anyway? And like, let's ask some proper questions about why are we here? You're listening to the Spaceship Earth podcast with me, Dan Burgess. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 20. Woohoo! We got to 20. Uh, hopefully, that's uh, there's t- plenty more to come. Um, thanks for listening. If you've been with me for a while, then uh, really appreciate you continuing to tune in. Uh, if you're new to the show, the Spaceship Earth is a, a kind of exploration of conversations around all things kind of planetary, all things about kind of our connection to ourselves to each other, to community, to the more than human world, to this beautiful life-giving rock that's hurtling through space, the spaceship Earth itself. And um, yeah, that's rad, right? Um, So this is episode 20. This is a conversation I actually had back in February at the start of this year. The one thing about the spaceship Earth is it's just me uh, right now making this podcast. And uh, so I I record uh, great conversations and... uh, don't always get a time then to stick them up and edit and top and tail and put them out and it actually takes a lot lot longer than you'd imagine to get this kind of cheeky podcast thing going and um yeah so i'm trying to get uh, the little backlog done but so this was a conversation i had um yeah back in february with melissa kendall um who heads up uh, a team uh who are uh, running a new kind of school I love that a new kind of school um, and it's a Lumiar school which is a um, an approach a new school approach which was actually born in Brazil and you'll better find uh, all of this I'll stick this in the show note links uh, to Lumiar um, and I've known Mel for a few years um, the school she has started is based not far from me in Bath and this was um, a conversation I had up on the site in February up for a visit uh, and Mel has been developing, I guess, a new kind of school for a few years now, um, really kind of learning by doing, massive doer, and um, iterating really all the time. And then last year decided to adopt the Lumiar methodology and approach. And I think they're the first Lumiar UK school. Um, so school's like a massive, massive uh, loaded subject area. Everyone's got a point of view on schools and learning. Um, and I'm not going to go into too much conflab here in this intro. I'm just going to get straight into the conversation, really. But I would say, I mean, someone who is fascinated by learning and indeed unlearning, which is something that I am intentionally doing and have been trying to do for about a decade now, unlearning a lot of the things that I was taught and told to be valuable and useful and actually I found are actually quite destructive and not that useful at all as I learn more about the nature of the world that I'm part of. Um, But I'm really fascinated with schools. I'm also a parent, so constantly sort of freaking out about schools and, uh, you know, my kids and stuff that I'm sure every parent does. Um, But two quick things, just in my opinion, personally, I feel that 
Uh, a, um, from what I can understand, most traditional schools in the school system, in at least in this country, haven't really changed that much um, since the sort of mass education thing landed, which I think was sort of Victorian times, maybe, or maybe it was a bit later. I'm not quite sure. But from my understanding, they've been pretty pretty locked. You know, it's like classes of kids sitting in a room, sort of, you know, teacher at the front, loading people's heads with knowledge, which they must learn. Uh, get ahead of everyone else through kind of testing exams because if you're better than everyone else then you'll go farther in, in the world. Um, in many ways preparing you for this kind of institutional world of work. Um, I still think uh, from again what I can see um, most of, a, of the school system assumes some kind of high carbon future, some kind of high growth economy. Uh, it sort of seems to be certainly kind of um, focusing on on that kind of approach to education. So I would argue that is all the shit that's hitting the fan right now in the world and all the challenges that we face, um, I think the way that we're educated is, is a big part of that problem because we come out into the world with no ecological literacy at all. It's almost non-existent, as I can see in the curriculums. Um, no sense of kind of systems and wholeness. It's very specialised, it's very separate, sort of views the world as this kind of sort of like slightly mechanistic machine type thing um, doesn't help people kind of join dots and see relationships and interconnections um, and so you could argue even from that perspective if we come into the world sort of seeing the world like that as this kind of linear kind of sort of dead thing that we can just sort of um, create stuff or work for companies or do whatever it is we do well then you're probably going to keep you know, designing things in a way that's extractive and wasteful and destructive and polluting. You're probably going to still, you know, get heavily specialised into certain things or that you become removed from the whole and the impacts of, uh, of what we're all doing onto the, onto the greater whole, the system that, that holds all of us. So I think that's it. You know, schools and education have an enormous... Um, role in, in, in what's going on right now. By the way, this is no diss on teachers. I think teachers are bloody awesome uh, and do an extraordinary job. But I think, you know, we've designed an education system, which is, at least my sense is just like, we well, shit, we could do so much better, right? I mean, just think of what we have access to, the information, the knowledge, the ideas, the, the people, the ability to network into kind of different stuff. We could be designing these extraordinary schools. Um, so that's what I find super frustrating. And I think, I think the final thing is obviously back to the individual, the child. Like, What is it in all of us that, you know, trying to connect with true, who we truly are? You know, and surely that is the, the art of education and learning is to kind of ex is to draw out the thing that's alive within us, to help us to connect to that and then be able to follow that. And I think, again, from at least my experience and my own opinions, that's almost impossible in the current setup. So there you go. I'll stop the rant there. Um, if you're interested in, in the whole school's idea, new types of learning, new types of schools, um, hopefully this conversation with uh, Mel will, um, will be of interest. Um, and do check out the Lumiere model. Really fascinating backstory to that uh, and how it, was, uh, how it emerged as a, as a model. Um, and uh, yeah, enjoy. This is um, episode 20 with Melissa Kendall, a new kind of school, um, the Lumiere School. Mel, welcome to the Spaceship Earth podcast. Thank you. Um, I want to uh, get into obviously the Lumiere story and what's going on here and, and you can tell me all about the plans and, and we can tell a bit more about Lumiere. But I know, you know, I've, so I know you, I've known you for quite a few years and you've been on this journey of a different type of school. 
mm-hmm. or a new kind of school, which I remember was the first sort of framing when you, you know, probably four or five years ago, yeah. maybe. Can you just give us a bit of context about how you've ended up pursuing this new type of school venture? Yep. Well, actually, interestingly, unsurprisingly, it started with my own children entering the school system. So my eldest son is now 10 years old. He's currently one of the students at the school that we've set up, Lumiar School. And um, when he went into the local state primary school, which was an outstanding Ofsted school, and it seemed to all intents and purposes very lovely, he had a really good reception year. And then in year one, I started to sort of question what was actually happening in the classroom space. And I, did, I had a friend who was a TA in the school who was sort of giving me feedback from a slightly different perspective than the official line that you were getting. And so I went into the school and I suggested to the head teacher a couple of things that they might like to do. Like I would like to offer some time and uh, possibly resources to help them to do more outdoor learning, to sort of take the kids outside of the kind of traditional curriculum and do some projects or do something that was going to be slightly more inspiring than just focusing on the more narrow core skills, which was what seemed to be happening in year Mm. one. And uh, they just weren't really up for it. And it was a little bit disappointing. And it kind of, at that time, made me suddenly realise, ooh, what is this education system all about? So I really started to delve into why the education system had become like so restricted and Mm. so focused on very specific kinds of... Uh, skills and particular results, like exam-driven um, results. And, uh, and that took me on a journey of exploration into education, which I'd never been on before. So my background is in sustainability. I was a socially responsible investment analyst for many years, and I used to work with lots of different organisations, NGOs, other, or, or other corporates, who were looking at how we could change the world and look at sustainability issues. And I felt really strongly that the education system was actually the most sensible place. If you want to change the world, you start with education and you change the next generation's mindset and you really start to innovate and bring in these new ideas. And it just clearly wasn't happening in any shape or form was in the mainstream system. For you? Like in, when you, when you, when you sort of, when that whole, when you, when you made that realization, actually, this is a lot more closed. Yeah, I was really shocked actually. And then I, you know, and it took me a while for it to really dawn on me to the extent to which that was happening. And I think the final straw was when I went to a parent evening with my son's year one teacher, who was absolutely brilliant. I really liked her. And, and you know, to be, like, just to be clear, my son wasn't unhappy at school. He was actually getting on pretty well. He had lots of good friends. But uh, he, was, he never remembered anything. You know, whenever I said, what do you do today? He said, oh, I can't really remember. Oh, you know, dictionary job. Oh, you know, bit of maths. But there was never really any kind of story or any kind of narrative of something that he'd really, you know, he was passionate about that he'd felt that he'd learned. So I felt concerned about that and when I went in to see his form teacher and she said Curtis is a 1C in literacy and a 2A in maths or something I was like what what does that mean (laughs) and then she showed me this chart on the wall and it sort of you know categorized what that meant and she said every day they do this many worksheets and we mark them and then we categorize which level they're at in these things and I said well how many times a day are you doing this she said well twice a day and there's 30 kids I was just like this is it was just that sort of level of insanity. It's almost like sort of Kafka-esque nightmare where you're just like, what, what is this? You know, Like, who is this for? How is this good yeah. for the children sort of thing? And she also agreed. And I think it was really hard for her. You know, and I think it's really hard for a lot of educators that they look at what they're being asked to do and they feel like it's almost morally wrong, but they have, that's their job now. And so I think that was a, the, the straw that broke the camel's back for mm. me. So then it, we kind of took Curtis, well, my son, out of the mainstream system and we basically said 
you know, what are we going to do? And we didn't really have a plan. So we decided to set up this small home education project to begin with. And that kind of, it was great, basically. It gave him an opportunity to get back out into the outdoors. And he was only six years old at the time, so it wasn't like a major risk for us. And uh, we just allowed ourselves a bit of time to kind of figure it out. And then at that time was when I became aware of Lumiar schools. So there's a TED Talk by the founder, Ricardo Semler. Mm. And I was looking at a number of different educational approaches, and that was one of them that came to my attention. But for some reason, it really captured my heart, if you like. It wasn't it's just about the methodology. It was about the, yeah. the, the sense a, of who he is. Isn't it something like you know, running a business with almost no rules or something? Yeah. His line or something. Exactly. So tell me, why, why did that... Why did you connect with the Lumiar and with... with well, I think it was, his vi it was his vision at the very base and I think that's still the case you know like Semler has a vision he has a personal vision that is very compelling like when you hear him speak he understands the way things are and is less I don't know driven to results and outcomes than you see in a lot of corporate sort of CEOs and yeah. you know I've been in that world a lot and I've been also to private schools myself and, and universities where you're pushed all the time to achieve achieve a certain result and do this and you kind of after after a while, you sort of say, who am I doing this for? Yeah. And I think that's the question that Semler asks. It's like, why do we do these things? And who's it for anyway? And who are we anyway? And like, let's ask some proper questions about why are we here? Yeah. What is it to be human? What is it to be part of this kind of process of living? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And I think for me, that was a real step forward in taking it outside of just the kind of factual... Yeah. Like, yes, I think it's important to look at social and environmental issues, but then there's also a kind of a deeper perspective that he brings to it, which is to say, well, you know, there's a, there's a basis on which you approach this educational yeah. philosophy that is... And he, he obviously had done it in business as well. And it's worth noting to anyone, to, to listeners, is that... And I'll link to all this in the show notes, because, I mean, he was no, you know, he's no, no sort of small fry. I mean, he's no. enormous... Enterprises, right in uh, in Brazil, in in business, uh, yeah, uh, huge business operations and stuff around yeah. a very different sort of dynamic, right? A way of a set of values and practices of how we, why we work and how yes. we work with each other, and no. so that's what started his move into. Because yeah. what's the story behind why why did he start Lumiar? So he started Lumiar because he had done something quite radical with the business that he inherited from his father when he was quite young. I think he was in his 20s or something when he inherited it. And part of the arrangement he had with his dad was like, yeah, I'll take over the family business, but you have to butt out and let me do it the way I want to. And the first thing he did was he went in and he fired all the middle management and he t t totally created a flat structure throughout the organisation. And he said, you know, I don't want you to come into work on Thursday if you've finished your job by Wednesday. Your job is to deliver this and that and the other. I want you to actually go and enjoy your life. I want you to have a different relationship with the workspace than just, like, I pay you to be here from 9 to 5, so just sit at your desk and twiddle your thumbs until you're allowed to clock out. So his view was, like, I trust you to do a really great job, and I trust my employees to turn up at any... They could go to any office they like, they could wear whatever they like, they could come up with ideas, and as a result totally turned around the profitability and fortunes of the company they inherited. So it went from a sort of tens of millions to hundreds of millions of yeah. um, dollars a year sort yeah. of turnover. And now it's, I think, one of the biggest companies in Brazil. But the big thing about it is it's consistently been voted the most popular place to work. So everybody who works for him loves it and they feel empowered and there's a lot of creativity and innovation that happens within that organisation. And it's a very diversified company. Yeah. So he then got to the age where he had... 
kids yeah. and was looking for somewhere to send his kids. And I think that's essentially where Lumiar suddenly kicked in because he was like, well, there's nowhere to go. You know, there's nowhere that I would want to send my kids. So he set up a school and he had lots of money. So yes. he hired all these incredibly brainy educators and you know, people who had a lot of experience at, at analysing pedagogy. And they came in and they delivered this vision of how education could be. And now they've had 14, 15 years now of actually running schools in Brazil. And so, you know, they've actually put it into practice as well. And there have been trial, good things and bad things, trial sure. and error. But that's one of the attractions to us was like, oh, we could go and take a framework of an organisation that's been going for 15 years and like leapfrog all of the issues that they've yeah. kind of had to deal with yeah. by just getting their guidance and getting them to train yeah. our staff and getting them to give us their ideas. But also they do it in such a way that it's quite loose and yeah. there's a lot of flexibility within their methodology for us to develop our own way yeah. and our own, you know, yeah. path, if you like. So we'll chat in a second about them because I said that you, you're, you're part of a, a sort of almost a growing global platform idea now with, with, with Lumiardis, but... But just for, again, for people listening, like, sum up the Lumiar model. What's it all about? What's the approach? Well, it's got, they, I think they call it pillars. That It's based around sort of six or five or six pillars. So the main one is that it's project-based learning. So the idea is that you don't just learn traditional subjects. You find a way of actually applying your knowledge in the projects. So you have two different kinds of teachers. That's the second pillar. Yeah. You have tutors who are the kids every day, who are like more like the traditional teacher who look after the children, make sure they're okay, you know, make sure that things are going on all right at home, yeah. make sure that they're understanding things and keeping up with the age-appropriate learning and all this sort of stuff. And then you have masters who come in on different projects. Well, they can also be very specific subjects if you need them, but generally they tend to be projects and they come in for six to eight weeks and they deliver a particular project. So they could be a teacher, but they could also be just a specialist in their field yeah. who's passionate about something. So the, flip, the, the big flip there is going from teacher, the sort of command and control person at the front, holding all the knowledge in their heads, mm -hmm. transmitting that into this classroom of 20, 30 kids yes. to know everything. You're flipping that to that person becomes almost a bit more of the kind of guide, the sort of yeah, the mentor, mentor mm. sort of understanding where the kids are at in terms of their everyday well-being, what they're bringing into the school, mm -hmm. um, uh, understanding where, they're kind of, you know, where, their, where their excitement is around learning, where the challenges are, all that kind of great stuff. Yep. And then you're bringing in these kind of masters of certain um, topics or content, I guess, mm -hmm. of learning, and they're designing kind of learning experiences yep. which are project-based. Yeah, so they often work alongside the tutors to deliver the idea for the project. And the tutor might do the assessment, for example, but the, the master would deliver some really inspirational kind of yeah. idea. So an example, example. Yeah, yeah. So an example would be like we've had a street artist who's come in and they've done a load of um, you know, banners and graffiti art, which they you know, worked with the master over six weeks, so they had to you know, do their own designs and then build up and understand colour and then you know, actually deliver the actual final yeah. banner yeah. that they wanted. Um, there was a, another example would be um, uh, the children are developing um, a series of workshops at the moment around uh, sustainability so that the idea is that they then come up with some ideas that they want to deliver at the, in the following term. So it will probably end up with some kind of business that they want to run that has a sustainable, sustainable focus. So yeah. it might be like something that they do around food, um, but how do you source 
um, food through a sort of sustainable supply chain? How do you market that as an ethical yeah. product? Um, another thing they did was they had a master chef competition. One of the kids was really into cooking. They all wanted to take part in that. So we took them to a restaurant. They had a master who was a restaurant owner and chef, and they got to do a whole masterclass with them. And it ended and culminated with the kids running their own cafe for a day. They had a pop-up cafe. They literally ran the whole thing. They did all the cash, the waitressing, the, the whole thing. Mm. It was absolutely brilliant, but it was complete chaos. But it was completely <laughs> yeah, run by yeah, the yeah. children. It was a great learning experience. And that's, isn't that one of the pillars, the, what is it, the de democratic kind of... Yeah. The yeah. So I was going to say, we've just said the pillars were... Um, project-based learning or yeah. applied learning, active learning is another way of putting it. Uh, there's the tutor and master split role of the, of the educator. Um, the third one would be democratic, or they call it participatory management. So essentially they have a circle every week where every single member of the school community gets together and discusses issues that might be arising. It might be ideas that they have about projects or events that they want to run or it might be a problem that's arisen because one kid's had a disagreement with another kid or someone's doing something that's really annoying yeah, and they yeah. need to discuss it and they have a chat about an it. Open space for it's it. an open space and actually they have to come up with solutions. So a lot of the time those conversations could be around how the children's behaviour is in, in a lesson and the teacher could be saying, you know, it's not great that we're trying to do a math session here and so-and-so's just distracting everybody all the time. How do, you, how do the other kids feel about that? And the kid might be like, well, you know, it's quite annoying actually when Jimmy keeps distracting me and I'm trying to do this and actually I really quite want to do it. Yeah. And they, so there's that conversation that then happens and it's sort of handing the responsibility to the children to say, well, you're given this great free space in which to learn and there's a lot of resources being offered to you, but if you don't take the responsibility for your own learning, it has an impact yeah. and we're going to throw that back at you. So we're not forcing you to do it, but we are forcing you to have a conversation about yeah. why you're not participating. How, that? how does that work? On a, I mean, what, what are you learning through that kind of approach with the kids? Well, it's, it's not the easy route to take. So it takes a while before children really settle into that approach of how to communicate. And you get, obviously, some children that are much more communicative straight away yeah. and others that take longer. So there is a, there is a, there's a skill to managing a circle where you make sure that children's voices are all heard. Um, so one of the things that we do is alongside the circle, we have the tutors do individual check-ins with the kids. So if there's a kid that's like maybe a bit shy, doesn't want to really say in the group, that at least the tutor's aware of that and can then bring that topic yeah. out into the yeah. conversation for that child um, but the idea is that from the age of five or four whenever they join us they're part of that circle and even if they don't necessarily have anything to say sure. by the time they get to a point where they do have something yeah. to say they really know how to say it yeah, right. so it's teaching them communication skills it's teaching them sort of negotiation skills as well but it also just this also to be well, yeah to be empathetic and yeah. understand other people's point of view and to collaborate with each other and to come up with ways that can be, you know, solutions, like problem-solving skills, really. Yeah. And so I think it is absolutely fundamental to, like, what we call 21st century skills. You know, it's like, if you want kids to progress in careers now, it's not about just learning loads of content. It's actually about learning the skills in which to access different, um, you know, jobs. Mm. And I think for most jobs now, it's not really... You don't need to have huge amounts of technical data stored in your head right. but you do need to know how to work with a team of people so that you can right. you know deliver an outcome exactly and so, so our, that's our really robotic implants mean we'll be able to access that technical data just by thinking about it in a few years time <laughs> we? So, so we just go where's that data i need it yes some sort of eyeglass exactly <laughs> i mean actually there's a famous quote i can't remember exactly word for word but semler says something like you know 
education in with all these disruptive technologies that you've got like the internet and stuff he said like basically education for knowledge is obsolete now yeah right um and he's saying you know why why the acquisition of knowledge is not the purpose of education it's like yeah. the acquisition of skills and competencies and mastering those skills and competencies and feeling passionate and so he calls it wisdom-based learning yeah and i think that is the thing that Lumiere kind of is able to, to access. But there, it doesn't mean that nobody teaches traditional skills. I mean, we still have to do, you know, reading and maths and things like that. It is absolutely vital that children can access those skills so that they can access other forms of learning. So if they can't read, they can't do project-based learning, really, and it's very difficult. So we do, we do feel that there is a... The children have a right, a human right, if you like, to be taught those skills at an early age and to, to be age-appropriately taught to those... Um, standards that you would expect in the mainstream national curriculum, say, for example. But at the same time, it can be taught, as we've discovered, in a way that isn't so narrow, and it can be applied. And actually, when you apply your numerical skills or your literacy skills to something that you're actually really interested in, it flows much quicker, and children learn it and pick it up much quicker. So, you know, learning how to do column addition because you're running the cafe and somebody's just given you a fiver and you need to give them the change for their two cakes or whatever... Yeah. It's amazing how good they are at you yeah. know, column addition yeah. Yeah. When, when the profit is going to their yeah. playground ideas. I, I see that in, a, in its tiniest form, like sometimes when, like, you know, with tensions my kids have, with, with you know, my, my youngest daughter, she's, she's trying to break through different maths, you know, which is abstract. I mean, mm. it confuses the hell out of me, maths always did. And I can see some of them, but actually if you, if you sort of reframe the context from this kind of really hard sort of dry mm. learning books and you try to you know, bring food or you bring something into the mix allows them to kind of count or make sense or whatever mm-hmm. it does flip isn't it but yeah that's that's not possible to do in a in a you know a system which is 30 quid kids <laughs> yeah person at the front yeah, yeah. get through it right and yeah 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 i think that's that that's why you know to in order to deliver this type of approach you do need there is a sort of smaller yeah. adult to kids ratio yeah, that's yeah. required. Just it just is. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like, you know, massively smaller, but it does need to be more focused. And so what there was there was three four other pillars, wasn't there? Oh, yeah. Pillars. Oh, sorry, it's my fault. So the, the next pillar would be multi age learning. So the children are in age groups of sort of two to three year bands. And that enables you to be more flexible with where you put a child based on their ability and their interests at any particular time. So, for example, we have kids that sometimes sit in one group that then move to another group for a math session, then go back to the younger group for other projects. And socially, they're more in the younger group, but maybe if, they've, if they're able to access higher levels of skills in certain subject areas or certain sessions, then we are able to move them and move them around. But equally, within those age groups where they are more sort of set so like we have cycle one cycle two cycle one would be like the five to seven year olds and then eight eight to eleven year olds in cycle two and and so they are teaching each other a lot of the time and we can group them in different ways so it's a little bit more flexible and it doesn't put children in such a tight um time frame within which to achieve the results that you would expect them to achieve you know in terms of certain subjects that you want them to that you're that you're measuring in a very clear way so so, for example, if a child is a little bit behind in maths, you've got three years to get them to that point rather than by the end of this year they have to have delivered that mm. and actually enables you a lot more flexibility in how you approach that problem. I imagine there's also some really interesting um, dynamics with that in terms of, I'm guessing there'll be some kind of mentoring that occurs from the elder to the younger. Yeah. And 
and the younger to the elder again, like you say, they're potentially more more challenging or, or developing themselves faster or open them up to different thinking early and yes. must be sort of some really interesting transfer of knowledge yeah. that doesn't happen. And it's the real world, isn't yes, it? Yes, exactly. It's like you know, and I think that's the other thing is like actually in, in real life situations, once you do leave school, you don't hang around with everybody who's exactly the same yeah. age as you and you, you learn. Leave for a while, then you go, that's time to leave all you I need some friends who are slightly, you know, of a different age range yeah. and generation or whatever. So yeah, I do think that that's, that's a really big part of the Lumia methodology. And the other the biggest one I'd say is the fact that you don't do any testing. It's all integrated, the assessment. So we have, you know, every every single session you do with the children whether it's a project or a workshop they self-assess how they feel it's gone the tutor will assess what they feel the child has achieved and so there's a constant flow between what's happening and what's being recorded so there's quite a rigorous assessment if you like which enables you to not have to do weird things like test children at the age of six as to what their sort of numer numerical skills are you know and you're very clearly yeah. monitoring that all the time and then it gets put th through this digital tool called the digital mosaic which is an online tool which all of the different masters and tutors and kids as well and parents can access to, to just visually and that produces a report of what the child's learning is like and it actually maps it out so you can identify gaps not just in the child's you know, progress, but also you could identify gaps in the curriculum. Oh, this year we've covered all of these different subject areas or these different skills, but we have we've got a big gap over here. So the next project we're going to plan is going to fill that gap. Yeah. yeah. So nice. yeah. So and it's quite a broad curriculum. They use this. Um, so that's the final pillar is this this mosaic curriculum they call it, which is uh, rather than looking at traditional subjects, they look at um, what they call skills and competencies, and then there's sort of five axes of that. So social, emotional, sensory, motor, epistemic, which is essentially knowledge-based. Um, and then there's, I can't remember what they all are now off the top of my head, but there's five different areas. And each of those gets, you know, then redefined into smaller, smaller topics. So the, the tutors can access this, this mosaic and, and mark different parts of it, yeah. as, as can the children. And, and that gives you a, a really clear visual of where everybody is. That, um, what you're saying about the child is able to feedback on their development as well as... And that's actually quite interesting. Do, 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 is, it, is it usually accurate? Or is it? Well, it, it's funny. And we find that the younger the children are, like, the more positive they are. So when they're, like, sort of five or six, they're like, how did you think that went? And they're like, five stars. Every single time, five stars. But as they get older and they're getting more into that conversation about, well, what could I improve? How could I, you know, access my learning better? What could I have done differently? Then they start to become more able to, like, you know, actually say, well, maybe on that I could have done this differently, so I'm going to give myself a two on that, but the next time I would do this differently. So it's about reflect, teaching them the skills of reflection. It's not that important what, what score they put in. It's more just that they understand they that there is, there is a reflective process in learning yeah. and that actually just because you didn't do it well that time doesn't mean that next time yeah. you can't. And actually sometimes the best thing is that you made a mistake and that you learned from yeah. that mistake. But building awareness, self-awareness is mm. key, isn't it, I guess? That's, yeah. That's really what... So tell me, like, um, so we're here. I mean, you're, you're, you're on a farm, effectively. Yeah. Like, tell us the plans. Where is it, where's it heading? And... Giving a sense of just the context today, but yeah. where it's heading in the next eighteen months or so. Yeah, well, I mean, we we're just kind of in uh, in the first term of our second year of operation, and basically um, we've passed the Ofsted inspection to become an independent school, which means we're going to definitely stay here for the long term and expand, hopefully, into key stage three next year. So at the moment, we do key stage one and two, or cycle one and two, which is so starting from reception age children up to eleven. So essentially, we're a primary school, mm -hmm. and. Uh, 
the children, because of the location that we're based in, they do a lot of project-based learning around the farm and food and outdoor opportunities that they have here for learning. So they have a forest that they can go to regularly. There's a river on site. One of, for example, one of the projects they did last year was building a raft, and the end culminated with them actually taking the raft over the river, and they managed to get all 23 children onto this raft, and it didn't sink. It was very, it's very exciting. It was a very shallow river, to be fair. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's those kind of we we call it place-based learning. Those opportunities to actually link their learning to something that is in their environment real. that yeah. is real so again they're doing at the moment one of the kids is doing a project on um for a science fair actually a local science fair on how to make stoford manor farm more sustainable and so they're looking at renewable energy projects that you could run on a farm they're looking at sustainable food practices that could be integrated and it's really exciting because the kids are all presenting those ideas back to each other so this little pod of two kids who developed this project are now going to present that their findings of how they could make this the far more green to the other kids in the in in their particular group and that could then deliver another series of project ideas so yeah the farm is absolutely amazing because it has so many different learning opportunities in terms of nature and we do feel that nature is a really important teacher for children i think also children just need to spend a lot of time outdoors and whenever we take the kids out, um, they have a really good run around and then we come back in and have a focus session with them. They're really with you because they've had time to kind of, you know, run around and get all their energy out and then when they come back in, they really want to focus and do something a little bit more creative or a little bit more, you know, mm. mathematical or analytical or whatever. So um, we do try and balance that a lot, that the children do get a lot of time to be very physical and to be very much, you know, part of the landscape and yeah. enjoying being outdoors in yeah. a rural space, you know. Yeah. Um, that's probably quite different to what you would see in most Lumiar schools. So that's something that we've brought from the Stoford side of Lumiar, yeah. and then we're bringing the, the methodology here. Um, so because of the, the fact that we are also you know, on this farm and there are a lot of families who've joined this project who are very interested in sustainability learning, that's another aspect that we bring to the Lumiar methodology, which actually suits the methodology very well because you can deliver it all through projects. But... That's something that this particular school is going to focus a lot of its energy on, is how do we get the kids to understand social and environmental issues and engage with them and feel empowered to do something about them and become, like, you know, innovators or solutions-focused, mm. um, Yeah, you know. they're going to go out to the world designing their, whatever they decide to do with this stuff. As, you know, that's the, that's the blueprint. It's like, yeah, you know, that's they it. understand limits, they understand impacts, they understand systems, this sort of... Exactly, things exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah, so, so for example, next term I'm running a series of workshops with um, a woman who's the head of Schumacher College in Devon, which is a postgraduate school for like sustainability learning. And I've been saying to them for a while, look, come on, take this stuff to kids. Let's do something with the, the, the sort of primary or secondary mm. curriculum. These kids are like the perfect mm. you know, advocates for yeah, changing sure. the world, right? Yeah. And they totally get it. And they're totally connected to animals and nature and they care about these things deeply. So she's coming in with me and we're going to do a series of workshops to just introduce the ideas and then see what projects deliver off the back of that. But the idea is that if that curriculum works well and we can keep developing it with the Lumiar approach, but we can then take it into other schools and mm. offer it to other local schools that want to start to think about how can we teach these issues to mm. children of this age group. Um, so yeah, systems theory is one of the areas that we're looking at. Biomimicry is one of the areas that we want to look at with the kids because I think they, they have so many great ideas and yeah. it's just giving them the tools within which to play around with those ideas really. Yeah. 
Well, it's the sort of thing, isn't it? So it's, there's, there's, a, there's many people uh, engaged and employed and doing all sorts of things trying to change the system. <laughs> this is like this change, you know, trying to shift thinking of kind of, you know, fairly sort of tired older people, you know, who sort of like, you know, been doing the things they do. But do you know what I mean? But there is this different dynamic, isn't it? Yeah. It's like working where there's kind of totally open, fresh perspective, where there is, you know, not having to... There's so much of change work, or simple work, involves unlearning. Yeah. Lots of unlearning in order to sort of relearn. Mm-hmm. Whereas I guess this is the thing, right? It's like, what, what could we be offering the next generation more of is the ability to learn a completely different and hopefully much more sort of regenerative yeah. way of being and, and learning and educating and actually then how you go out into the world with a very different view of, of how it works. Mm-hmm. And that sort of feels like, you know, it's like, we should put lots more energy into that space, you know? Yeah. Well, interestingly, um, the, the strap line we recently had, we're brainstorming, trying to come up yeah. with the strap line for the Lumiar Stoford, because obviously it's slightly different to the main Lumiar. The main Lumiar strap line is transforming education, which is great, you know, obviously mm. we're well on board with that. But the idea for us was like, well, what is it that we do? And it was actually connecting learning and um, na- nature. Mm. And innovation. We're like, well, you know, it's all great. You've got this kind of natural environment. You've got all the learning opportunities there. But actually, you also want these kids to go out and come up with something different as a result of it. And that's what Lumion does very well, is is the innovation side of things. So So the plan plan here now, then, because just in terms of, um, like, you're going to up the ages eventually a bit. And just tell us a bit about that. so the, the, the plan is that from September 2019, we'll open as an independent five-day-a-week school, although we are essentially running now as a, as a school as well. So from after April, you know, after the Easter holidays, we'll have hopefully more students joining us in this primary school age range. And then next September, we would apply to add 12 to 14-year-olds, which is the, the limit we would go to at the moment with Lumiar. Um, and so that would be, we've got another classroom that's currently being um, constructed for that and various ideas to move some of the other buildings for the school over to a new location on the farm um, where we could start to develop more of the sustainability learning alongside the Lumiar school approach. Um, so, yeah, our, our aim ultimately is to grow the school to about 80 to 100 children um, on this site. And, you know, we're in a really good catchment for quite a lot of towns in the local area, so we have a lot of... Uh, interest from Froome, from Bath, but there's also Trowbridge, Radstock, Bradford on Avon. So there's quite a lot of towns in this local area that can mm. access. But it's, you know, we're kind of like a rural hub. It's kind of yeah. an unusual location in a way because it is in the middle of nature, in the middle of a kind of yeah. sort of almost like timeless little uh, step back to what it used to be like to live on a farm. And yeah. that's a really exciting opportunity for the kids. But it's also really nice for the families that become part of this community because they get to come to a very beautiful place every yeah. day and drop their kids off and see the little farm animals wandering around. <laughs> what's the response been like? I mean, if you, I guess, I guess has, has everyone embraced what's going on? I'm, not, I'm guessing there's also objectors and stuff. I mean, how does it, how, how can you uh, around what's We going haven't on? had much in the way of objectors. Right. Uh, I think that the people, I think people have been watching and waiting to see what happens. I think there are definitely, there were people who were straight in there, you know, head first, want to get involved and have been there from the beginning. Quite a lot of parents were very much actively involved in helping to get the whole thing going and, you know, taking board positions and volunteering and all of that sort of thing. It is definitely a very tight community of people and everybody knows each other and, like, supports each other. And that's a massively important part of the learning as well, I think, is that, you know, people are 
It's not just about the kids, although the kids are the centre of the whole thing. There's also the whole, how do we support the families and how do we involve them in what's going on? And I think that creates a really good educational vibe as well because when people are... When families are healthy and supported and, you know, connected to what's going on with their kids learning, their children learn better as well. Yeah, right. So it's all, it's all beneficial. Um, so, yeah, it, it is... It's, a, it's quite... It's quite tight-knit at the moment, but I think it's going to grow now that we go to five days a week. I think it's going to bring in a slightly different group of people. At the moment, it's very international, which is quite unusual <laughs> considering the location we're in. Right. I'd say, like, 80% of the kids come from not just purely English backgrounds, oh, really? which is quite unusual. So what yeah. sort of background, what sort of country? Well, we've got um, kids from Chile, from... Uh, like different parts of Europe, like German, uh, we've got West Indian, we've got uh, kids from um, uh, Canada, oh. you know, it's quite a, a mixture. Yeah. And I think it does naturally pull in families that have maybe a slightly more global yes. perspective or experience, um, because Lumiar in itself is quite it's an internationally yeah. kind of recognised yeah, approach. Yeah, because they've got, so using this, this kind of platform now, Schools are starting in various different places now, aren't they? Yeah, schools, yeah, so. that's right. And I think um, the the plan is that Lumiar, they're called Lumiar Education, I think. They have now a team that's just focusing on bringing Lumiar to other parts of the world. Um, so in the UK, there's already three or four other groups that were really interested in setting up Lumiar schools over here. And then there's also um, in, I think there's one in Utrecht right. in the Netherlands. Um, and then there's various ones in other parts of the world. I'm not entirely sure where they all are, but yeah. uh, they do have a person based in the US, so I think they are thinking about the US market as well. And how do you go back to like, the, the, the master-tutor uh, system? Yeah. How do you find the masters, or do you have a sense of, like, we need to find more people who can bring these... I mean, how does that yeah. work? Yeah, well, traditionally in the Lumiarts... Lumiar schools that are a bit more established than us and been going for longer, they have like a bank, like a data bank of all the masters. And we do have a small data bank of masters, but at the moment what we tend to do is we brainstorm ideas for projects with the kids sort of quite a long time before we have to deliver them. So you, you might start beginning of a year and you have a big brainstorming session with the kids and maybe like eight project ideas come off the back of that and then we start to research how quickly can we get masters in to deliver different parts of that. Now, not all of the projects we run are, are child-decided or led. Um, a lot of the projects we bring in as adults and say, we suggest this now happens. And then the children have an element of say in how the project goes and can be creative within that scaffolding, if you like. But we do, we do require... Um, uh, masters for specific projects so we might go out and look for that master based on the idea that has been yeah. put out there by yeah. the children so um, I'm just trying to think of an example like for example we did a, a big community led design project last year because the kids wanted to build a new school building or we are going to hopefully build a new school building and the kids wanted to be part of that mm. and so we said how do we actually involve children in that and then we found a PhD student who was an expert in community led design and she came in and ran that project with the kids and they were able to then design and build out of 3D model out of cake and the sweets which is hilarious um, a, a future school and, uh, and she did like 16 workshops and boiled that down into a lovely report wow. which we're now going to use for our um, fundraising and your sort of core team here is, how does that work what's the actual well so we've got a head we call her head of education essentially um, she's sort of the person who runs the educational setting and Fran. Uh, yeah Fran and she's very very much connected to what Lumiar Brazil do so she basically works for us 
two and a half days a week and for Lumia on Brazil two and a half days a week so she is part of Ricardo Semler's team on the ground in, in Brazil um, and then uh, we have two tutors so one for each cycle that we have and then we have two different masters that we call continuous masters so one is a maths master who comes in every day and does math sessions with each cycle and then one is a music master who the children do music lessons with and sometimes music workshops and things and then the other masters that come in are more project based so they will come in for six to eight weeks and then they'll probably go again so an example of that would be this lady from Schumacher who's coming in um, next term to deliver the sustainability learning or it might be a street artist that we talked about earlier who does the you know uh, yeah. uh, playground design project yeah. or the community-led design PhD student. Those are what we call project masters. Oh, yeah. So they get pulled in for oh, yeah. short periods of time. Another classic um, project master we have on site is the, the farm uh, owner's daughter, who's a secondary school science teacher. <laughs> so she does stuff around the farm with the kids, but she also gets them to do project-based learning. So she was the one, for example, that delivered the idea for sustainable, um, how to make the, the farm greener and you know how to make it more sustainable and she's helping deliver that project with the kids um Brilliant. on the ground yeah and are you getting because <clears throat> obviously we won't open the chest up i'm conscious of time but um, yep. the yeah the uk school kind of stuff but i'm guessing what you're doing is is interesting to other to other places around this country are you yeah. getting incoming and stuff of people wanting to follow this model? Or? Yeah, definitely. And I think what's interesting is that Lumiar in Brazil is saying that, you know, you don't have to just completely change your school to being a Lumiar school. You can take elements of the methodology into your school and we can teach you how to do that. And we're talking about developing something called a Lumiar lab so that UK schools that want, you know, existing schools that don't want to change their whole methodology but want to bring more of this type of project-based participatory learning into their setting. They can have a lab that comes into the school for a certain period of time that maybe trains teachers but also offers examples of how you do project-based learning and, and sort of facilitates that yeah, within right. their own schools. And so that's something that they're looking at and also having the digital mosaic, the platform that enables the integrated assessment. That could be something as well that schools could adopt so that takes some of the exam pressure off them and they can focus on a, a more kind of... Um, uh, relaxed approach to demonstrating learning outcomes than yeah, just yeah. like forcing children to hit certain targets by certain times amazing this i'm really conscious of time just just i guess something and i'll put obviously links to all of the projects and the school and lumia and everything so people want to follow up and find things out they can great um so i just i always ask this question in this podcast because i guess the, the spaceship earth is all inspired by but mr fuller's work and this idea you had this phrase, there are, there are no passengers on Spaceship Earth, we're, we're all crew. And I was just thinking like, what, thinking about that, and thinking about what you're doing here with Lumiar, where do you think, I guess, about learning generally? Does that, what does that mean to you when I said, well, that whole idea of, you know, there are no passengers here on, on, this, on this Earth, we're, we're all crew. When I think about learning, does, does that, does that what, what, where does that make you feel there's a need within the learning space for, for more participation? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think people just need to be more open-minded. I think there's so much that we do that we we believe to be the truth that isn't. Do you know what I mean? And I think we're so restricted by that um, from our. I'm talking about our generation more than sure. the ch children's learning. And I think as we move into this new 
sort of advent of huge amounts of content available at your fingertips on the internet and the learning opportunities that come with that. I think people's minds are being sort of <laughs> smashed open. Their paradigms are being smashed open. And a lot of the jobs and the kind of uh, things that people have traditionally done are no longer going to be in existence. So I think everybody's a bit scared, if I'm honest. I think everyone's a bit like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? What are my children going to do? They're all in a bit of a panic. But actually, I think it's great. I think it's a real opportunity. And I think that we're all in this process of learning together and figuring it out. And it's kind of messy and wonderful and creative. And I just, I think that's... it. I haven't got a problem with uncertainty. I think a lot of people get a bit freaked out by uncertainty and they want that certainty, like... We want to know what's happening with Brexit or all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, you just don't know. Nobody bloody knows. That's the reality. So the, the more that we can accept that and just go with it and understand the dynamics of the universe, if you like, the more exciting a journey it's going to be and the more likely we are to come up with the really big solutions that we need to find at the moment. The kind of scary environmental sort yeah. of catastrophe that we're facing needs to be resolved. So th we need to step out of our our mindset into this new... Into the world of unknowing. <laughs> yes, totally. And actually, funny enough, when we first started this project, my husband and I were having a chat and we wanted to call it the school of not knowing. <laughs> and we thought maybe it wouldn't be very good from a marketing point of view, but it's still like in the background, Rick and I talk about, you know, the school of not knowing. And that is, that is actually the underlying philosophy of a lot of this. And I think that speaks more to the adults than to the children. Children are happy with that. They're comfortable with that, not knowing. It's all of us who freak out and go, oh, my God, Johnny's not going to pass any A-levels and he's never going to get no career. It's like, just relax. It's all going to be fine. You know, we'll be fine, basically. And it is, that is, is again, when there's, there's obviously, that's brilliant, and there's so much in that, but this idea that, you know, I mean, on one hand, I just think of this, you know, you've got... You know, you've got the young um, Swedish activist Greta Thunberg, you know, who's got getting oh, yeah. the world of teenage schools are striking all over the country. And this Friday, the UK strike being planned, and they're striking based on the fact of like our leaders are doing nothing about climate change. Why are we being educated for, in a way and for a, for a for a world that's not going to exist? You've you know got all that going on. You've got again, you know, the, the what is education? What is learning? The the cost of higher education in this country, particularly, you know, which mm. is just so obscene. You know, you've got. The fact that you know all this data now about no one knows like even what sixty percent of the jobs are going to be in five years. So, you know, so you've got all this stuff which basically says what you're doing is you know we should be paying more attention to this approach, right? Because yeah. in a world of not knowing, how do we train ourselves up for the skills that make us comfortable in that world of not yeah. knowing, right? Because actually the current system is all about it's trying to tell you know everything, know everything, yeah. logic, 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 do this, do this, do this, do this, it's all linear, you'll get, the, you know what I mean? And that's coming apart, so... And sometimes I think learning is more about the quality of the question than necessarily what you can answer. It's like, what are you, what are you, like, it's just delving into stuff, isn't it? Mm. And it's never ending. Yeah. <laughs> no what. Yeah. But if you ask good questions, you know, you can, you, you, you take yourself on a more interesting journey through yeah. that, through that unknown <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess, and I guess, and I guess, what we were, part of that here is exactly it's like trying to trying to sort of surface the questions that each child is carrying as yeah. well, right? So, so that they're exploring the things that are actually making them feel yeah. something. And actually, what is it all about? Really, I think sometimes we forget the fact that life should actually be quite a fun and joyous and creative experience. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. forgets that we're sometimes. Not very long. Yeah. <laughs> It's quite tough at times. Yeah, and everybody's working so hard and so stressed out that they don't, yeah. they forget to actually just live and, yeah. you know, allow it to happen and not to try and control it all the time. And so I think that is part of the experience of education is, 
you know, that actually if you just allow, if you just allow things to be what they need to be, sometimes really amazing stuff happens mm. that uh, I think sometimes people are a bit frightened to allow that. And I can understand why. I do yeah. understand the reasons why. But I think sometimes, you know, within certain uh, constraints, you can allow that freedom to, to flourish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, amazing. Thank you for um, sharing some of that. And um, I think it's amazing what you're doing here. So, you know, good Thank luck you. with it all. And, uh, yeah, speak again. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was Melissa Kendall from the Lumiar School in the UK. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. Lots of food for thought, right, on the whole schools and the future of schools and all that. Brilliant. Well, thank you for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, I really do appreciate you tuning in to this. If you like this show, please do share it with others who you think might do. Um, you can access this podcast on loads of different platforms, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, on Acast, um, however you fancy. Um, if you've got a question or an idea or a thought or a rant, I'd love to hear from you. If this is provoking anything, drop me a line, dan at thespaceship.earth. You can find all the podcasts at www.thespaceship.earth. Uh, you can buy some merch. You can buy a couple of really nice teas. There's an Earthling tea and there's a Spaceship Earth tea. You can get those. Just follow the link from the spaceship.earth site. Um, and yeah, hit me up. Uh, you can get me on Instagram at dansolos. Uh, on Twitter at Dan Solo. Um, yeah, really appreciate anything. And if you do like this, please give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It all really, it just makes the podcast travel to more people. So it's um, it's super nice to get a bit of feedback, a bit of love and all that. Um, makes it all worthwhile. Uh, so yes, well look, another one coming soon. So um, take it easy out there. Remember folks, there are no passengers on Spaceship Earth. We're all crew. Until next time, peace and love.